0: So in this podcast, we're going to talk about how to keep your sons-in-law and daughters-in-law out of your estate. Hey, everybody. Paul Rabelais. I'm an estate planning attorney and um, a little bit surprised at how adamant people are about wanting to make sure that what they leave stays in the family. Um, but really not that surprised about it, given the the divorce rate is so high these days. Oftentimes, there's you know difficult relationships with uh, sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws. So we get we get this question a lot, and it usually goes something like, you know, Paul, we want to make sure that what we leave to our son stays with our son. We don't want our daughter-in-law to get our hands on it. We don't want it to go to our daughter-in-law and her children. We just want to make sure it stays for our son. Some people even go so far as to say we want to make sure it stays in the bloodlines. It goes to our son and then it goes to our grandchildren that our son has had. So anyway, what I want to do in this podcast is really go through six reasons why people are so adamant about wanting to keep the property in the family away from those in-laws. And when I say in-laws, I'm referring to sons-in-laws and and daughters-in-law Not necessarily mother-in-law and father-in-law. And then I'm going to go through three of the more popular legal strategies um, for keeping it uh, in the family or for your children. So the six reasons why people um, I I hear uh, people tell me why they're so adamant about wanting to keep it for their children and not for their children's spouses You know, one reason, you know, and and let's just give this some names. Let's say a couple or an individual has a son. Let's call him Felix. And they have a daughter-in-law married to Felix. Her name, let's say, is Amber. And so I'm going to use an example where someone or a couple has a son, and they're trying to keep it for the son, not allow the daughter-in-law to get her filthy hands on it. But it could go the other way if... Someone or a couple has a daughter, they want to keep their son-in-law's hands off of it. But for purposes of our example, son and daughter-in-law. So sometimes people will say, Well, that that amber, she spends way too much money. And if if you know, if we structure it so that she could get her hands on it, she's gonna go spend it. You ought to see the clothes that she wears. A second reason is people might say, Well, you know, we wanted to go to our son. Felix because Amber has her own children and we know that if we don't do something and it goes to Felix, Amber's going to do whatever she has to do to make sure that she and her children benefit from it. Third reason, some people say, well, you know, Amber has her own, uh, you know, parents and grandparents and she's going to inherit from them. I want to make sure that what I leave to my son, Felix stays with my son. A fourth reason: Some people just say we just want to keep it in the bloodlines. Um, you know, I inherited from my parents, my grandparents. I want to do the same thing, keep it in the bloodlines. A fifth reason people want to keep their sons-in-laws and and daughters-in-law out of it is they'll sometimes they'll just tell me we just we just don't like her you know uh we love our son Felix we we didn't pick his wife Amber he did we wouldn't have picked her we just don't like her and we want to protect Felix you know Felix's inheritance for Felix and then a sixth and final reason uh people tell me is you know Paul uh we like Amber uh we've you know made her a part of our family but you know these days you just never know And so what they're saying in the back of their mind is, you know, there might be a divorce. Uh, She might exert influence over Felix. So that's the whole we like her, but you just never know explanation for why we want to leave it just for our children. So what I want to do is I want to go through three different scenarios that people choose and are satisfied with when they attempt to leave what they have to their children and prevent their sons-in-law and daughters-in-law from getting their as they say filthy hands on my money. So these these strategies can be kind of mixed and matched, but I'm going to just describe 3 and try to keep it pretty simple. The the first legal strategy to try to protect things for your Uh, children and keep it out of the hands of your sons-in-law and daughters-in-law is just leave it to your children. And some of our clients are satisfied with that because an inheritance uh, in Louisiana is the separate property of the person who inherited it. It's not the community property of the child and their spouse. So some people say, I'm going to leave um, uh, whatever portion of my money to Felix. Let's say it's $500,000. I'm going to leave the $500,000 to Felix or whatever it is. It's his separate property. She doesn't have an ownership interest in it. Some people just leave it at that. There is some concerns about that, however, and I'll just list a few. One is the moment Felix inherits that $500,000, it's his separate property. And if he, for example, gets divorced uh, one hour later after he inherits it, he'll keep that $500,000 as his separate property. She won't have an interest in it. However, sometimes either intentionally or unintentionally, the separate property gets commingled with community property that Felix and Amber have and when separate property and community property get commingled then due to our you know state of louisiana's presumption of community property that things in the possession of a spouse during the marriage are presumed to be community then it's likely that the inheritance will become community property. And if Felix and Amber, for example, get divorced, Amber walks away from the divorce with half of Felix's inheritance. So sometimes there's an intentional commingle, uh, commingling. That's when Amber says, Felix, just, just drop that $500,000 into our joint account and we'll take it from there. That's a commingling or or sometimes there's an unintentional commingling because here in Louisiana the fruits or the income of separate property of a spouse, the fruits are community property. So if Felix inherits five hundred thousand dollars and it gets invested in rental property or investments, stocks, bonds, and it produces some income. Well the income is community property and, and now you're likely to have a commingling of an unintentional commingling of community and separate property. Felix and Amber get divorced, Amber runs off with half of the inheritance. So um In addition, when it's just left to the child, I think there's a greater likelihood of the embers of the world exerting just influence they have over their spouse and in some way, you know, uh, forces that son who's inheriting to spend it or do something with that they would not have done had the spouse not influenced them. So just leaving it to the child and saying, well, if I leave it to him, it's his separate property, that's often not good enough. So let's go to a second strategy. None of these are perfect. None of these are a strategy that every single person should implement. They're just strategies that you can take into consideration when you're putting your estate legal program in in order. The second strategy is to, for mom and dad, for example, to leave Felix's inheritance in a trust for him. Let's call it the Felix trust. And let's say in this scenario, they name, they do name, let's say they name Felix as the trustee of the Felix trust. So what does that do? Well, it depends what it does. Um, one thing it does is it mm, adds a layer of protection because Felix's inheritance is going to be titled in the name of the Felix Trust. And because there's a trust, that that might be enough to prevent Felix from taking assets out of the trust and commingling it with assets that he has with Amber, but maybe it won't because if Felix is the trustee of the trust, depending upon what Felix's withdrawal and distribution rights are, it may offer no protection in the event Amber exercises too much influence over Felix as the trustee. But a lot of parents uh, do get comfort and when when we wind up saying, "Well, just to add that extra layer of protection let's let's leave Felix's inheritance to the Felix trust, and you know what if if he doesn't um, maintain those assets in his trust, it's on him, but we did what we took the steps that we felt like we could do to help Felix keep his inheritance separate, so that's an option now, I will say under any of these strategies, um, particularly if Felix lives in Louisiana, he's gonna, going to want to consider signing a what we call declaration whereby he reserves the, that the fruits of his separate property are his separate property. So, again, going back to it, um, Felix inherits $500,000. It starts to produce some income. If Felix had, had executed the right type of declaration, then all of the income that was produced by that five, $500,000 would be his separate property. So there wouldn't be any commingling of separate and community if all of the income went, went back into that separate property account for example. Now, to, to do the declaration, yes, it has to be worded right. A copy of it has to be provided to the other spouse. So Felix would have to sign this declaration, which says that he's reserving the fact that the fruits from his separate property are going to be his separate property. He's got to give, give a copy of that to Amber, and he's got to get that recorded, uh, get the declaration recorded in the appropriate, you know, conveyance records. Uh, real estate records of the parish, so sometimes that that could could be awkward if Felix you know does that and you know he, what he's doing is he's telling Amber look if we get divorced all this income that my inheritance is producing it's mine, and so that might be uncomfortable. It could have also have been addressed in a marriage contract, something they did before they got married, where they kept everything separate, including the income that they each the each generated. So those are a couple of areas a, a couple of areas where uh, it can be kind of cleaned up, I's dotted and t's crossed, either with a marriage contract or one of these declarations. So uh, this, the second legal strategy was to leave Felix's inheritance into a trust, name Felix as the trustee because the parents want Felix to be able to be in control of his inheritance. Uh, and they don't want to restrict Felix in any way, but the the potential problem is if Amber really controls Felix, she'll get him to you know undo it, undo that trust, take distributions out of the trust, and again, there's a threat so that if they get divorced, Amber could you know claim half of that as her community property if it wasn't handled the right way. So the third and final strategy that we see some parents implement is similar to the second strategy. So the third strategy is where the parent or parents leave Felix's portion of the inheritance to a trust, but they name some other third party as the trustee of that trust. Now they're restricting Felix's ability to handle his own inheritance. And maybe the parents feel like that's necessary because of this threat that, um, Felix's wife Amber has, um, and they just want to make darn sure that it's going to be for Felix. They, they may even want to name Felix's children as what's called the principal beneficiaries of this trust so that when Felix dies, if there's anything left in Felix's trust, It goes on for the benefit of Felix's children. Felix won't have an opportunity to leave it to Amber either if he wanted to or if Amber kind of persuaded him to do it. So that third strategy, um, I guess, is the strategy that most guarantees that it's going to be for, for the child, for the child's children. But in order to get that advantage, you have to restrict your child from having certain elements of control over that inheritance. So when you do it that way, name somebody else as the trustee of a trust for your child, then, then the withdrawal or distribution rights that a child may have become really an important component of the trust that's left for the child. So there's your kind of basic understanding of how to keep your sons-in-law and daughters-in-law out of your estate. A little bit more to it than that. Not not always so cut and dried. Different aspects of the three different legal strategies can be um, can be used. It's it's not a cut and dry one, two, three. So we have marriage contracts. We have these declarations. Uh, where a spouse can reserve the fruits of separate property as separate property. There's the acknowledgement that an inheritance is separate property. There's the fact that separate property and community property get commingled often results in all of it being community property. Uh, There's who do you name as a trustee of a trust for your child if you do leave it in trust for your children either to uh, make it divorce proof Or have any remainder Go on down to the child's children When the child passes away Lots of different things at play there Want to make sure you get it right the first time Work with the right people uh, it, It's a it's a Need to work with somebody who has a really In-depth knowledge of our Community property law Our separate property law Our trust code Of course taxes play a role in all of this as well So uh, Hope this helps uh, the, the key here is, is just make sure you avoid that procrastination and avoid doing nothing. Uh, the key here is to start that process, take, take that action, have the peace of mind, knowing that you know, you've worked a lifetime and you're passing it along to the next generation or to the right way. Hope that helps. I'm Paul Rabelais. If you want to find out more, uh, go to our website, com. Check out our YouTube channel, Rabelais Estate Planning. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you'll find dozens or hundreds of videos that can help you uh, prepare yourself to have a really you know, productive conversation with an estate attorney to get things in order. Y'all have a great day.